Domestic abuse, school shootings, mass killings, ethno-political conflict, genocide, terrorism and war. Peace psychology is the study of the mental processes that lead to conflict and how that knowledge can be used in a positive way. In this series, Peace in Mind, we'll be exploring the breadth of peace and conflict psychology. So conflict and peace are, yeah, definitely not to be associated with badness and goodness, evil and good. <laughs> I'm Kim Stewart. And I'm Linda Rose. We're your hosts for this series. Peace in Mind is produced in the studios of 4EB Brisbane with the help of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Psychologists for Peace, an interest group of the Australian Psychological Society. We have to think then about other means for security, other means for personal and collective security, other means for building peace other than going to war. Building a culture of peace from the, from the smallest level, uh, among ourselves, in families, in our communities, across the diversity of cultures, and including at the political level as well. Creating an alternative vision of what's possible. That was Wendy Flannery from Believing Women. In this, the final edition of Peace in Mind, we look at how we can achieve peace from a psychological point of view. Psychology has a lot to contribute to this discussion. The people who start wars are still people, with anger, fear and egos that promote poor decisions for justice. They are not necessarily soldiers, citizens or children. They are politicians. A culture of peace starts at the micro level, educating and demonstrating peace in each of our lives and communities. Dr. Di Brotherton is a lifelong peace advocate who started out during the Vietnam protests and went on to become one of the founders of peace psychology in Australia. I was politically active like many people of my generation with the anti-Vietnam War protests. Yeah. Um, but at that stage it wasn't so connected with um, with university work. So one of the things that was remarkable to me at the end of my career was when um, I became director of the International Conflict Resolution Centre at Melbourne University and in um, doing that it, I was actually um, appointed for my part-time work, shall we say, for my peace vacation rather than the work I'd done as an academic. So peace work was seen as uh, synonymous with protests. Partly my interest is conflict resolution because I began work when you weren't allowed to use that, that really dirty word starting with P. So, <laughs> so conflict resolution was a very good way of dealing with the issues that was not provocative. It's fairly pragmatic, so people see it as useful and it has some career opportunities. So it's a, a very good way of professionally packaging peace and conflict studies. So I've worked in a number of countries because I was um, at one stage seconded to UNESCO in Paris, so that involved working in a lot of a lot of European countries and also in a number of Arab countries and in I've worked also in Africa 
one of my areas of passionate commitment is Vietnam because of the early Vietnam War protest. And so I was very interested to go back and actually see how that all looked to the Vietnamese. More recently, I've been working in the Pacific Islands and China and just finished a, a very big project in Could you tell us a little bit about that? What was your role in that? Mine was more a um, conflict resolution role. The project was a partnership with the traditional chiefs in Vanuatu and it looked at how they relate to the democratic government in Vanuatu. So how do you negotiate, and this is like the work we've done in Australia with Aborigines, how do you negotiate a more Western legal or political system and a traditional Indigenous system. Mm. And I found it a very fascinating project because I learned a lot about some di very, very different conflict resolution strategies. Well, the one I really liked, and this will give you an, a sort of inkling into some of the cultural baggage that goes into conflict resolution and now thinking about why it has to be done in a certain way. The one I liked was a, an example of very anonymous kind of conflict resolution, which would be very face-saving for everyone concerned. So if you just walk through the, the bush in, in Vanuatu, it's not really clear who owns what. It just looks wild. But often things do belong to people if you have local knowledge and you would know whose tree it was and so on. And if you just took somebody's mango or something, that's not a big deal if you're just passing. But if, if you strip the tree, that's that's stealing, you know. So what happens if someone has infringed on someone else's property on one of the islands, um, and other people said they had similar customs? The person who owned the tree could express their anger by waving a certain kind of stick. And they wouldn't say, I'm angry. They would just sweep it in the air or maybe sweep something up on the ground. But it's the particular branch that people would know this is an angry, you know, a displeased kind of branch. And so then people would start to think, well, what's upsetting him? And then they'd realize maybe too many mangoes have been taken from the tree and you wouldn't have to find the perpetrator and punish them because somebody who was attached to the person in some way who'd committed the offence would leave compensation beside the tree and then the conflict would be resolved and you need not know who ate the mangoes and you need not know who left the mat there, calm is restored. And I thought that's very nice. And when we're talking about the influence of American culture, there's so much, you know, in the literature and so on about how you have to hunt down and punish the perpetrator yeah. and confront. And they're, you know, and it's really interesting to have pointed out there are other ways. Peace advocates and psychologists alike agree that learning to deal with conflicts in a non-violent way is key to peacemaking. Kim talked to Annette Brownlee, co-founder of Just Peace and the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network. I think that at some point in our future we will um, have made war into a criminal act. 
um, and that's my goal really. I'd love to think that that that's uh, a, a reasonable thing to aspire towards and there's plenty of us around the world that actually do believe that um, that it, that should be the case, that uh, violence is never the way to resolve conflict. No. So is there a bigger picture to that too? I mean, it's just if politicians are making the decisions, but there's a whole social, global context to war, isn't there? What, what do you see as the context that makes it permissible? I think that the, you know, the people that want war are those that profit from it on the whole. And, you know, that they are, they have free reign. That's unfortunately the case that um, we uh, have laws for everybody else, but we don't have rules for um, the profiteers of war. Yeah. And they are the big military industrial complex um, figures that we all know about, but they, you know, they're, they're a bit like amoebas. They've got a bit of their, their interest in the military and uh, weapons manufacturing and so on, but they might also have a bit of their interest in producing washing machines or televisions or, or something else. So they're, you know, they're kind of slippery characters really and uh, are harder to, you know, kind of identify and, and uh, vilify for exactly what they do do. But, you know, I think that, I think there's a real place for, for legal frameworks and for us to continue to work on, on uh, rules and laws that don't just affect um, some, but are applicable to the big corporations as well. You're listening to Peace in Mind on 4EB, 4ZZZ and the Community Radio Network. Kim asked Annette what she thought peace-minded people should be doing. Well, engagement from people in the community, raising awareness about uh, the issues, giving people a chance to, um, in, to, to develop their ideas and hopefully to get involved in taking action. You know, I, I think it's, it comes down to a values thing really and, and what matters to you most in your life and apart from, well it's about relationships and how you, how you view your relationships is as, as much a part of how you work as an activist really. It, it's about, you know, um, an equal and just and, and peaceful relationship and, and trying to to do your best to uh, to achieve those relationships um, and um, to, to also look after yourself in the process. Co-founder of Just Peace, Annette Brownlee. On Peace in Mind, this is Chumbawamba with Feel Like I'm Fixing to Die. Five. 
Today on Peace in Mind, we're talking about peace and how we can achieve it from a psychological point of view. Kim also spoke to Robin Taubenfeld, peace campaigner with Friends of the Earth Australia. We're not always going to agree on everything. That would be an impossible vision to have, that we all agree on everything. And so we're, the way to be peaceful is to acknowledge that we have conflict or disagreement and use processes that are peaceful, non-aggressive, non-violent to resolve those. If, if somebody could go out and do one thing today to contribute to making the world more peaceful, what would you suggest they do? Hmm. Well, funnily, the other day I was invited to do a workshop in my daughter's prep class, kindergarten class, because on, when they were studying about Anzac Day, apparently she said, my mommy works for peace. And so I got invited to talk about my job to her class, and I got to talk about what working for peace means. And ultimately, talking to five-year-olds, we had to pick up some blocks and discuss if we both, if one country and another country each had half the arch or half the rainbow, what solution could we come up for our people to feel happy about all having a rainbow? And it came down to the simplest thing, I think, talking with the children was how to not respond with anger in a situation, uh, to identify when our fist is closed. I tried to say, you can't do much with a clenched fist. I said, who can, what, what does this look like? And we we're talking about being angry. I said, show me, how can you pick up the blocks with the clenched fists? Because I was thinking they couldn't pick up blocks. <laughs> but they all showed me how they could pick up the blocks with clenched fists. <laughs> and I was like, well, show me how you hug your friend with a clenched fist. And they were all like hugging their friend with a clenched <laughs> fist. So that example didn't really work. But then when they were building stuff, they did actually open up their hands. So then we talked about how we could build one rainbow if we were two teams. And how, what's the solution? One child said voting. That was a great answer, but then we realized that then if the majority country, the, you know, the majority team got the rainbow, then the other people were gonna still be unhappy. And so working out eventually with a bit of coaxing that uh, if we had one rainbow that both countries shared, we could all have a rainbow all the time. So it came back to nonviolent decision-making processes and trying to identify how we were when we were angry, how we reacted to things and responded to things when we were angry, and how we could find a peaceful solution to dealing with our friend. And I think that's probably where it all has to start, is working on the nonviolent processes in our own life. And my daughter will definitely tell you that I have a lot of more work to do. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not always modeling the most happiest, calmest, peaceful behavior. And also tell you that I work for the planet but still drive a car. And isn't that bad? So we all are full of idiosyncrasies and discrepancies, I think. So we need to own that and uh, keep working on a peaceful solution for situations in our own lives. How we're gonna be, solve our conflict with our next door neighbor. 
how we're going to share a fence or not have a fence, how we're going to um, deal with conflict in our home first, in our family, our families in our home first, in our schools, in our community, and then in the broader society. And if five-year-olds could figure it out, surely politicians can. I'm sure they can, but I'm, I still think that while we're doing that and practicing those peaceful processes, there is a need for us to voice opposition. So I think we always have to do those two roles, is try to model the change, be the change, and keep saying no to the thing, things that attempt to oppress or disempower. So we need to identify them. They need to be named. Whether it's patriarchy or capitalism or a coal company or a clothing wear company, we need to identify that injustice is being committed and it's not acceptable. And not, and not stop being vigilant about that and work on ways our nonviolent ways of disassembling or resisting that power. And you were just listening to Robin Taubenfeld, peace campaigner with Friends of the Earth. We're going to hear a song now by Kev Comedy called Freedom. Human freedom's fundamental and justice a right. Equality's that thin line between wrong and right. When the earth is denuded, her creatures oppressed, then justice and freedom are put to the test. We say freedom, freedom will come. Welcome freedom, welcome freedom. Justice, justice will come. Welcome justice. Freedom, equality, justice are one. If we resist injustice, freedom will come. Freedom will come. Welcome freedom. Savages keep the oppressed so poor. Resistance will break the stealth eagle's claw. Peace is much more than the absence of war. The man, the child, the mother earth, the land, the law, the living sun, the creatures and the living plants, all cry out as one they chant freedom. Freedom, welcome. Global brothers and sisters shed generations of blood. Freedom will triumph, justice endure. When we struggle united against every war. The 
Listening to Peace in Mind on 4EB, 4ZZZ and the Community Radio Network. Kim asks peace psychologist Di Bretherton what she thinks is an important step to bringing peace. It's about relationships. So when I was a full-time academic, I would often get into trouble with my colleagues because they saw me as much too much of a mother hen. And people would talk about, and still talk about, uh, my peace chickens. And <laughs> <laughs> sort of, uh, they think, you know, a real academic is, is tough and challenges people and doesn't let the students get out of line and, you know, and to be kind of like a mother hen, making sure that they got all their work done on time and feeding them cups of coffee, if that's what it, takes or whatever whatever it was I don't know but they saw me as much too soft with the students whereas I think that the world's a hard place and sometimes people need a soft landing that if you help someone through a difficult patch you form sometimes a relationship that goes for the rest of your life And that those same people who had a down patch often then bounce back and do wonderful things. And then because you've been kind to them, they're kind to your other students. So it's, this is a little bit like the Chinese idea of, of guangxi, that you create a network of relationships and people who are ready not just to help you, but to help your students or people you meet who are interested in peace. And I think that's what makes the difference. So it's not trying to resolve one conflict yourself, but just imparting that idea, not just through saying it, but by doing it. One thing I didn't say is I'm a Quaker, and we have this belief that you should make a pattern of your life. So you don't preach at people, but you try and model compassionate and ethical behavior in your own conduct. And I think that's incredibly catching. You don't have to tell people that's a better way to do things, you just do it mm. and they are attracted to it. So what, what you'll see is 
gradually, gradually, the things that were special peace movement, environmental things, become um, just generally accepted and you can't really trace. I think as an activist you, you do um, work a lot on faith and I think the process is really important mm. and what you see in terms of change is not the effects of one person's action but the effects of many people over many years yeah. and even if it looks like one action it's because that ground is prepared. This is the last edition of Peace in Mind. We hope you've enjoyed the series. For more information about the wide range of areas that peace psychologists work in, check out the website of Psychologists for Peace, groups.psychology.org.au slash PFP. That's it for this edition of Peace in Mind. Thanks for listening. Peace in Mind is produced for the Community Radio Network with the help of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Psychologists for Peace, an interest group of the Australian Psychological Society. Theme and background music by Jandy Rainbow, unisonicascension.com. Series producers Kim Stewart, Linda Rose and Nathan Renault. You can find out more about the topics we cover by going to facebook.com slash peaceinmindproject.